It's the final days of six-year no-interest financing at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Upgrade that leaky, squeaky patio door from just $84 a month. Set your free consultation now at 855-PALA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Throw the book at them. You know, sometimes we talk about like stuff that that people do that's just stupid that gets them into trouble, and then there's stuff that I would call either evil or alternatively felony dumb. And this is one of these stories. You know, we've been reporting it all week that there was an incident where a couple Milwaukee police officers were hit on July 5th. They were on Water Street. We know we've had all these problems on Water Street over the course of the last several weeks, and and somebody through what is being described as an explosive device at at these cops and and injured them. And and now they've caught the people. And if you go through this story, it's just, you you read this and you go, my God, what sort of people are out there and what are they thinking? Here's the way it's reported on Channel 12. The DA's office has five suspects who have now been charged in connection with explosives being thrown at two police officers. The incident happened about 12.15 a.m. on July 5th in the 1200 block of North Water Street. So, I mean, this is in the heart of the entertainment district down there. It's 12.15 in the morning, so you're talking about July 4th, into, which was on a Sunday, into the Monday morning. Investigators said the police officers were standing in the median monitoring downtown entertainment for the July 4th celebration. Celebrations. The suspect set and threw an explosive device towards the officer. The device detonated and injured two officers. Get this. A squad car was also damaged. The detonation was so powerful that it deployed the squad car's airbags said the district attorney's press release. The device was believed to be a powerful pyrotechnic. Now, let me stop there for a second. So this isn't a situation where... I know somebody throws a couple caps at an officer or, or whatever, or a sparkler. This, these people that did this, the, the pyrotechnic was strong enough. Then they threw it at the cops that it set off the airbags in the police squad car. Officers were treated and released at the hospital. Uh, their names were not released. The suspects were identified. We'll call them out. Derek Smith, Gerald Buffel, Demetrius Powell, Javier Thompson, and Lawrence Turner. According to the criminal complaint, Derek Smith told police he and the other suspects were driving around the city, lighting fireworks and throwing them out the car windows. He told investigators he paid $1,000 for a dozen pipe bombs to throw at strangers to scare them, the complaint said. He told investigators he paid $1,000 for a dozen 
pipe bombs to throw at strangers to scare them, the complaint said. All right, let's just, let's just stop at that for a second. All right, of all the different things that you can do on July 4th, hey, we're going to you know go hang out with our friends, we're going to watch the fireworks, whatever. We're going to buy a dozen quote-unquote pipe bombs, and we're going to drive around the city of Milwaukee, and we're going to throw them at other people, including cops. Um Okay, uh, the police department says these things are dangerous and cannot be taken lightly. It might seem like a joke getting a reaction out of scaring crowds or getting a police officer to jump, but people really need to understand that others can get injured, maimed, or killed with these type of devices. Well, you would think that's what the the inspector from MPD says. You would think that anybody with an IQ above plant life would understand that that's the case. Police said during a search of Smith's car, this was the guy who paid a thousand bucks for a dozen pipe bombs to throw at people, they found 90 M80 fireworks and several improvised explosive devices made from PVC pipe. Investigators also said they found cell phone videos showing the men throwing the lit explosives. So in other words, these bozos, they're, they're driving around, you've got 90 M80 fireworks, you've got, um, again, these improvised like pipe bombs sort of things, and they're, they're driving around and they're throwing them at people and at other cars, and they're taking cell phone videos of them doing this. Hmm. Let's make it really tough for the DA's office to secure a conviction. A buffer 20 of Milwaukee was charged with two counts of first degree recklessly endangering safety with a demons with a dangerous weapon. He's looking at 47 years in prison. Powell. 55 of Milwaukee was charged with five counts of possession of an improvised explosive device. Smith is 19, Thompson's 18, Turner is 27. The guy, one guy is, is 55 years old. He's 55 years old and he's driving around a car in a car with some 19 and 18 year old kids who, who are throwing these mini bombs at cops. All right. There's some cases that are that are difficult to figure out if you're a judge what you're going to do. And then there's other cases that are easy. And I understand that there's some people out there who think that we're putting too many folks in jail and stuff like that. I'm telling you that this is this is an easy one. People driving around the city of Milwaukee throwing M80s or improvised explosive devices powerful enough to set off uh, airbags in squad cars, throwing them at cops and at other people. This this is a real simple one. It's don't pass go, don't collect $200, and do go to prison for a few years. Now, will that happen? Who knows? But that just that really makes you want to go and hang out on the mean streets of Milwaukee because you never know when you're going to get bozos like this. They're going to drive around and decide it's going to be fun to throw explosives at people including police give me strength when we come back kamala harris has an interesting concept of people who don't live in big cities i'll share it we'll discuss stick around this is jeff wagner on wtmj i understand that there's sometimes when politicians elected officials say things that they really don't believe because they figure that they have to say them because it all it, it kind of fits into whatever the narrative that is that they're, they're trying to advance. I'm, I'm wondering whether this is one of those occasions or whether the vice president of the United States, um, Kamala Harris, 
really believes this. Now, Joe Biden is going to be giving a speech today in Philadelphia denouncing efforts by some state legislators to um, tighten up voting laws. And see, what, one of the things that happened, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the program, is, is after COVID, when COVID was going on, you had elections commissions and courts that decided that we were going to kind of take very, very loosey-goosey interpretations of of the rules with regard to voting because we wanted to make it easier for people to vote during the pandemic. Well, now that the pandemic is essentially over, there's a lot of people who say, okay, look, we, we want to we, we go back to what the laws are. We want to go back to what the rules are. And the argument now is, oh, this is Jim Crow. This is voter suppression. If you decide that you want to actually you know, make sure the law is clear that the way people have been voting for years is the way they're going to do it in in the future. So there's a lot of different things that are out there and a lot of especially from the left, a lot of these allegations, oh, this is this is voter suppression when in, in truth it, it's not. But this is obviously one of these phrases that's kind of obviously been poll tested from people on the left and if you throw out the term voter suppression enough, maybe people will believe it. So here's the deal. Um the vice president on Saturday is doing an interview with BET News and they're they're talking about photo ID laws. Now, we have discussed photo ID laws extensively over the last couple of years. You know, as Wisconsin has, has adopted its own voter ID law. I think as a general rule, you can argue whether or not there was enough voter fraud to you know justify a need for vote for photo IDs. Okay, that that's that's a fair argument. At the same time, it is difficult to seriously argue that in Wisconsin, the voter ID law that we put into place has significantly impaired the opportunity of people to vote. It, it just it, it hasn't. So the the people who are saying, hey, if we don't have photo ID laws, it's going to open the doors for thousands and thousands and thousands of fraudulent votes. I don't think that's played out. At the same time, the people who are saying, oh my gosh, this is going to disenfranchise large groups of people if you have photo ID laws. That hasn't turned out to be the case either. So into the concept of photo ID laws weighs the vice president. So here's what she says. I don't think we should underestimate what compromising on voter ID could mean, because in some people's minds, that means, well, you're going to have to Xerox or photocopy your ID to send it in to prove that you are who you are. Well, there are a lot of people especially people who live in rural communities who don't. There's no Kinko's. There's no Office Max near them. People have to understand that when we're talking about voter ID laws, be clear about who you have in mind and what would be required of them to prove who they are. Of course, people have to prove who they are, but not in a way that makes it almost impossible for them to prove who they are. So her argument is, that people who live in primarily rural areas cannot comply with voter ID laws because, well, they, they might not have access to a place to Xerox or photocopy their ID to send it in. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The argument, and apparently this is the best argument that the Vice President of the United States can make about voter ID, is that if you live in a rural area, 
And you have to, I don't know, provide a, a copy of like your voter ID along with um, your your ballot or whatever. You're not going to be able to do it because, well, you, you can't get to an Office Max. You can't get to a Kinko's. You can't, I don't know, have, I don't know, a computer that could download and print off a copy. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm sorry. But maybe there's arguments you can make about voter ID, like I say, that it's unnecessary and it's an added restriction. But the fact that if you live in a rural area, you can't get a copy of your ID? Seriously? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Any validity to this? We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, in the mind of the vice president, apparently those of you who live in, in rural areas, you know, you, you, you can be out in the backwoods and you can be making your moonshine um, and you just have, you have no way of, of copying things. You have no way of duplicating stuff. And, and so we, we can't have voter ID because, heck, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to duplicate your ID. Now, I, I'm, I'm sure... There's probably more insulting things you can say about rural America. But if you really wanted to encapsulate, I think the way some of these limousine liberals in both the East and West Coast think about the flyover states, that this this is it. That if you live in rural America, you, you can't have voter ID because you can't figure out a way to duplicate your ID to send it off. 855-616-1620. Mike in Kiwaska. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks Hi. for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I think <laughs> I don't think they. She's even just referring to that. How about the fact that young kids don't have printers, and you're going to disenfranchise, disenfranchise a bunch of the younger voters? That's the whole idea of it, right? Um, Glenn Grothman came out. He's on record as saying that the more pe- the make the harder we can make it to vote is going to is going to help our party out. Okay, so l- l- let's go back. Let's vote? go back. Let's go back to the basic premise. She says that you can't have voter ID because people in rural areas can't figure out how to get a duplicate copy of their ID. Is there validity in that? Yeah, there absolutely yeah. is. There's more validity. There's validity in that. There's validity in. Uh, the idea that just young people in general don't have access to a printer. Young people, well, you know, they, a lot of kids young don't people, have prints. They do well, everything okay. electronic. Well, well right. Okay, so let's stop you there, Mike. No, okay, so the way, what you do then is you take your ID, you take a picture of it on your cell phone, and then you, you send it off. I mean, it, they have cell phones, right? Oh, they'll allow that? In many okay, states, how absolutely. This? How about this, Jeff? Listen to me one second. How about if we take it one further? We verify voter ID electronically, and we let you vote electronic. Would the Republicans go for that? Well, I wouldn't Never. go for that. I mean, think, well, no, I, I I wouldn't go for that either because I I have some issues with the electronic voting. But let, let's get back to this basic this premise, this idea that well, we we can't expect people to prove who they are because if you live out there in the hills, you know, Granny and Uncle Jed and Jethro, you just you 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 can't you can't figure out how to run a copy machine. You can't get access to a copy machine. And you, you, you don't have a computer, and you can't download anything. You're just kind of in the middle of nowhere, and you're going to be disenfranchised. And I think the scary thing about this is apparently, may, may, see, I don't think, 
I don't think the vice president is dumb. I, I think she's a very smart lady. I, I think she knows how ridiculous this is. But I, I mean, again, th- this is apparently appealing to that that segment that's like, oh gosh, you know, if if we have these voter IDs, you know, people in rural areas can't vote. Well, we we have rural areas in Wisconsin, and, and we have voter ID, and I haven't heard too many people saying we haven't been able to figure out how to vote because we we couldn't make duplicate copies of of our ID. Maybe, you know, if you live in that rural area and when you hitch up the horse and wagon and you 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 ride the buggy into town, maybe, you know, one time when you're in town, you go into the library and you make a couple copies. I mean, the the whole thing is insulting and, I mean, candidly ridiculous. Here's a text that makes that point. Oh, gee, us folks out here in the middle of nowhere can't figure out how to take a picture of our rotary phone and then give it to the Pony Express to send it on its way. She's beyond offensive, and I think this argument is stupid. Well, I I don't know that she's stupid. I just think this is one of these calculated things to play to the base. Jeff, what, here's a text. What she's saying isn't true. You can copy your ID at a library, a grocery store, local government office. Um, I live in a rural area. I'm not isolated from everything. Um, yes. Jeff, we file, we live in an electronic area. We file our tax electronically. You know, I mean, um, okay. Jeff, um, young, first caller says, here's another text. First caller says, young people can't figure it out. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I would suspect. Now, I mean, maybe your experience is different, but whenever I have I know just enough about modern technology to be dangerous, and I can figure out a lot of, like, phone apps and things like that. But when I have a problem with, like, something on my phone or something on, on my computer, I, I go to one of my stepdaughters and I ask them. And if they can't figure it out, I go to one of the grandkids, and they're able to tell it and figure it out in a New York minute. Do you seriously mean to suggest that that young people... In today's day and age, with all the computer literacy and all that stuff, that young people can't figure out how to duplicate something? And look, I I understand that, you know, sometimes we want to play into this idea that, oh, you know, there's all these evil Republicans out there that are trying to suppress the vote and stuff like that. But, I mean, give me a break. And but this is the attitude that I think you see from a lot of the urban left, the idea that we we, this demonstration that we have no clue what life is like in rural America, that, oh, my gosh, there there's no Kinko's there. There's no office max. There's there's no printers. There's no computers. There's no nothing. You have no way of being able to make a copy of anything. And I guess. If I be- I'd really be scared if I thought she believed it. I don't think she does. I think this was just pandering. But who knows? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're, we're discuss- I'm just, you know, you can do what you want. But I'm, I guarantee you I'm not going to be watching the Major League Baseball All-Star Game tonight. In, in large part, it's just my own little private protest, and maybe Major League Baseball doesn't care. But if enough people do, maybe it'll get the attention of, of the advertisers that are out there if the numbers are down dramatically. This idea that we're, we're pull, we pull the Major League Baseball game from a uh, majority, minority city like Atlanta. We pull all that money out, and we move, this, we move it to Colorado because we want to make a statement about the new Georgia voting laws. Uh, by the way, a statement that, that did absolutely nothing because the voting laws are there. Uh, before we take the phone calls, I, I do uh, part of the thing that just makes my head explode about this is the 
lack of accurate information that's out there. For example, I have a text here. I'm going to be watching the game tonight. I feel Georgia crossed the line when they took away allowing water in line for elections. Oh, see, and I mean, I almost, you never know where to start when, when you get this because, I mean, here, here's the reality. The, the Georgia law, like laws in other states, doesn't say you can't have a bottle of water with you when you're, you know, waiting to vote. What the law says is that you can't have third parties, people going up to people who are waiting in line to vote and giving them stuff like food or soda or water or whatever. The reason for that, and if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. The reason for that is there's a concern that, hey, what if, what if it's a bunch of people wearing NRA T-shirts or a bunch of people wearing union T-shirts for this or that or the other thing or a bunch of people wearing, you know, pro-pot T-shirts or whatever who are there to advance a particular cause that, you know, they don't want them showing up, going up to people who are waiting in line to vote and giving them free stuff. Right? And I think if you think about it objectively, that kind of makes sense. Do you want to be standing in line voting? And, and you have, again, the, the people from advocacy groups that are coming up and giving you cookies or giving you sandwiches or give, <laughs> giving you soda or water or whatever. It's not a good thing. There's nothing about the Georgia law that says if you want to bring a bottle of water and stand in line while you're voting and sip on the water that you can't do it. It just says that people, third parties can't go up and contact people who are waiting to vote and give them free stuff. And and I don't think that that's a particularly unreasonable restriction. But again, it's part of the I don't know the this lack of information that's out there. Oh, this is this terrible sort of thing. And again, the irony of Major League Baseball deciding to pull the All-Star game from Georgia and and put it in, again, Colorado, the, the voting laws in Joe Biden's Delaware and in Rob Manfred's New York, in many cases, are more restrictive than the law in Georgia. But I don't hear them saying, OK, we're 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 going to boycott Delaware or we're going to boycott New York City. Let's talk to Tom in New Berlin. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Tom. Tom, Tom, Tom. Okay, lost Tom. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, these voting rule changes were not done for secure voting. They're being done to give the Republicans an advantage after Trump's 2020 meltdown. Okay. All right. Let us even assume that 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 is that that's correct doesn't change the fact that what they're doing in Georgia still makes the rules less restrictive than in many other states, including many blue states. But it also doesn't change the fact that what does Major League Baseball think that it's going to be accomplishing um, this? Um, Jeff, thanks for reminding me, and I'm with you. I'm not going to be watching the game. I don't anyways um, because it's normally a crappy game, but this is just another reason. Another text kind of emphasizes where I think a lot of us are. Jeff, all sports should stay out of politics. Atlanta received a big hit because Major League Baseball decided to move. See, and that's a part of this. The texter makes a great point that that cannot be I think overemphasized. And, and that is the fact that, you know, Major League Baseball, by trying to describe or trying to send a message that they're woke or whatever, 
they they pull the game out of Atlanta. So you're taking all this money, which could have been coming in to help the city of Atlanta, hotels, restaurants, cabs, all the other sorts of things. You're pulling that money out and you're sending it to Colorado. And we're going to feel good about ourselves because, well, we've pulled this out there. I, I, I understand sometimes that there's this this pressure and this desire to say let's let's do the politically correct thing and, and let's try to make a statement to show that okay we're we're morally superior and and we know more than those bumpkins in this case in the Georgia legislature but a lot of times what happens is it ends up getting done without without any sort of consideration at at all for what the real effect of things are going to be. Let's talk to Dennis on the west side. Hi, Dennis. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think, sir? Well, Jeff, I don't have any problem with professional sports getting involved with uh, social justice issues. Um, Now, again, you made the statement that the Georgia laws are... um, uh, less restrictive than some other states that may very well be true but in terms of getting involved in social justice issues i wonder if major league baseball hadn't been more involved in social justice issues back in the 40s and 50s and early 60s when, when the spring training camps in florida were segregated and african-american ball players couldn't stay with their white counterparts mm-hmm. i wonder if Major League Baseball hadn't gotten more involved back then that the segregation would have ended before it did. Well, I, you're, you're talking about stuff that happened in the 40s and 50s and 60s, Tom. Thanks for calling, Dennis. My my response would be it, it's 2021, and it's it's this idea. And again, I I look at what it is that they're they're doing. And they're picking sides, and and I don't know that they're in any way, shape, or form that they're on the the right side. And again, I I go back and I say, all right, if if you're going to now say Atlanta can't have the All Star Game because we don't like that law, we don't like the voting law, don't you then have an obligation to say, hey, New York State, if you don't change your laws, Delaware, if you don't change your laws to view whatever we think is, I don't know, um, something that's not voter suppression. You know, how dare you only allow people to register to vote, you know, three weeks ahead of time as opposed to four or whatever. If you're going to do that, I guess my question would be, don't you have to be consistent? See, I don't think that's what this was at all. This was this sort of knee-jerk reaction that was out there, and, and Major League Baseball gets to do it. What they've done is they've hurt a majority-minority city by pulling this out. They haven't accomplished anything because Georgia isn't changing its voting laws. You've hurt Atlanta. You haven't accomplished anything more, and I think you've alienated a lot lot of people who say, you know, we, we don't want the sports deciding, you know, what we think that this law is an appropriate law and we think this restriction is good. If if Rob Manfred or the powers that be in Major League Baseball, if they think that they have a better idea about what voting laws should be, well, Rob Manfred should move to Georgia and he should run for governor. And I guess that that's kind of how I, I look at that. Or some of the other people responsible for the decision should move to Georgia and they should run for state senate or they should run for the assembly or whatever. And, and then you can end up making a decision. In any event, the all-star game is tonight. I don't know what the ratings are going to be, but my guess is there's going to be at least a certain segment of the population that decides, 
you know, this was wrong. This was not handled in the appropriate way. And we're tired of having sports leagues decide that they're going to decide what political position we should adopt and we shouldn't adopt. And they're going to do it by, again, not not watching the game. Major League Baseball doesn't care whether I watch. They don't probably care whether you watch. But if enough people make that decision, the advertisers are going to care. And that's what gets the message across. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Well, I don't know. I'm seeing this. You know, everything old is is new again. You will recall years and years ago, if you were a fan of the Marquette men's basketball team they were the marquette warriors and what happened is there were a bunch of politically correct people at marquette particularly in the administration who decided that native american imagery that was associated with the marquette warriors that that was offensive to native americans and so what we have to do is we have to make a change well all right the the term warriors to me, has never been exclusively associated with Native Americans. I mean, the term warriors, I I guess, can it have a Native American connotation? Sure, but it has all sorts of other connotations as well. I mean, going back to ancient, ancient Greece or whatever, or that person's really a warrior. My argument all along with Marquette and the in my opinion, silly politically correct decision that they made that haunts them to this day was the idea that you could you could continue to call them the Marquette Warriors and you just do away with the Native American imagery. You know, you, you have a contest and you come up with some other warrior that is going to end up being the mascot. And everybody would be happy, but we couldn't do that at Marquette because, well, some people might not be able to separate the new mascot from the old mascot. Again, it was kind of this like liberal triple think that, oh my gosh, so people aren't going to understand it. And even if we have a, I don't know, a, a Spartan sort of warrior, uh, that people are still going to make the association with the Native American imagery. I always thought that that was silly. But apparently that that is not, that, that same sort of silliness is still with us today. The Washington football team that up until last year was the Washington Redskins. Well, we know that they ended up dropping the name Redskins because you had people that were offended and they were getting all sorts of static regarding their trademark and stuff like that. So for years and years, they maintained the name Redskins. They said they would never change. Finally, they did. And so last year, but they haven't come up with a new nickname. So last year, they were the Wisconsin, the Washington football team. Well, they're under pressure now because they've got to come up with a new nickname and a new mascot and things like that so they can start selling merchandise and things along those lines. Well, um, so they are considering, you know, different names. They announced yesterday that they're down to a short list of final names. But one of those names that is not going to be is they're not going to be the Warriors. They will not be the Washington Warriors football team. And again, because of the same sort of wacky thinking that Marquette used decades ago, it's because we call ourselves the Warriors. Regardless of what the mascot is, that will be too much associated with our old nickname of the Redskins, and that still won't make people happy. Well, my message to Washington would be, no matter what you do, you're not going to make some people happy. So you know, I don't care whether you call yourselves the Warriors or not, but the idea that you're not going to call yourselves the Warriors because, oh, that might not satisfy people who hated the Redskins, well, man, you got to get over it. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. 
And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Boy, hopefully Brian's weather forecast is is wrong or it's delayed because you know he's saying there could be strong or severe storms tomorrow evening um, into the night because what's going on tomorrow evening? Oh, yeah, you've got the NBA Finals downtown Milwaukee at Pfizer Forum and yet huge crowd that's always in the Deer District. Um, hopefully, if, if it's going to rain, it, it can hold off until after the game between the Bucks and the Phoenix Suns. It just, I, I mean, I think this is really, really good for the city and you'd hate to see it rained out. Although there are problems. I, I want to I want to tell you a story that somebody told me yesterday. And we, we talk a lot about the crime problem in the city of Milwaukee, and it is out of control. Now, to be fair, urban areas all across this country have crime that's out of control. But the, the Milwaukee Police Department has this this crime services map. And you can you can access it, and it gives you a running total of the numbers of, of various types of crimes, and it compares it compares where we are, for example, this year to where we are last year, and where we were the year before, and it and it's 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 a current one. I mean, it's current as of uh, July twelfth, and you can they can break it down like the this thirty days and the last thirty days, and you can really get a handle on on what's going on. And, and the numbers are, are interesting, but they're just numbers. But for example, um, this year, year to date, 86 homicides. Last year, year to date, 90 homicides. Now that's, uh, you know, two years ago, 2019, there were 97 homicides the entire year. So <clears throat> we're, we're slightly below the record pace from last year, but still, you know, abnormally high. Um, sexual assault charges, rapes, this year, year to date, 275. 2020 um 222 so we're we're up pretty much um robbery year to date last year there was 871 robberies this year there's been 1037 robberies so so that's up dramatically aggravated assault last year year to date 3448 this year 4037 more aggravated assaults Burglaries, well, there's less. 1,800 burglaries last year this time, 1,300 this year. Theft, larceny, again, up dramatically. Last year at this time, 3,500. This year, 4,900. So that's up huge. As we've talked about repeatedly on this program, automobile theft, you leave your car on the mean streets of Milwaukee. And I I don't know, there's... (laughs) 30-plus cars being stolen a a day. Um, Last year, this time... A year-to-date motor vehicle theft, um, 2,700 and uh, 1,751 this year, over 5,100. Um, the only category that's materially down is arson, 156 this time last year, 112 this year. So, um, we're, we're way, if you look at all those different crimes, we are dramatic. Last year was an awful year, record year in many categories, and we're way above the numbers in most of those categories, you know, this year. But, but those, those are the numbers, the, the raw numbers that are out there. There's a story behind all these victims. And, and yesterday, okay, so yesterday I had a had a medical appointment, and the 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 office where I go to, they they know who I am and they know what I do. And, and as soon as I as I come in, I'm talking to, you know, one of the one of the gals who's the like the receptionist at the place, and she says, Jeff, I, I got to tell you what happened to my brother 
the other night. He was down at the Deer District with a friend. Um, they they left the Deer District, and they were in their car, and they stopped at a gasoline station. They stopped at a gas station that was in the vicinity of the Deer District, and I, I didn't ask exactly which one it was or you know how far away, but th- they stopped at a gas station to get gas. Said her brother is out there, he's pumping gas. And somebody, they, two guys pull up in a car, jump out of the car. <clears throat> one guy pulls out a gun, puts it, to this is the woman who's telling me the story puts it to the head of her brother who is like pumping gas into his car says you know give me your money give me all your stuff and it takes the guy's wallet takes his phone takes all this stuff and then takes the butt of his gun and hits her brother in the face with the gun meanwhile the partner in crime has done he's jumped out of the car he's out of the car that they came in he puts a gun to the head of the passenger her brother's friend gets that guy out of the car and robs him at gunpoint and hits him in the face with the gun. They they drove off. They, they did not steal the car. I don't know what kind of car they were driving. Apparently, they, they, they my guess is the stolen car that they pulled up to do in this was maybe better than that car. But they, they robbed these two guys at gunpoint, you know, took their, their wallets and then hit them, you know, with, with their guns and then kind of drove off. And... You know, I, I, I'm, the gal is telling me about how her brother is understandably incredibly traumatized. I mean, thankfully, it's a couple stitches or, or, or whatever. I mean, it's not like he's in the morgue and he didn't re, he didn't resist. But she's telling me the story about how, I mean, obviously, this is going to be something that stays with you for a long time. And, and these are. These are the personal stories of crime that, that don't show up in these numbers. And I guess it really struck me when I'm listening to the story last night because, you know, I, you know, I, I admit, okay, we, we talk about these stories about, we talk about, I mean, here, here's the auto thefts or, or here's the sexual assaults and, and you, you recite the numbers or here's the burglaries. But when, when it gets down to the individual level, behind every one of those numbers, behind every homicide, behind every car theft, behind every assault, behind every, you know, robbery, behind every crime, there's there's a victim, or in this case, there, there's two victims who, you know, simply the, their only crime was, you know, stopping at a gasoline station, you're kind of in the area of downtown Milwaukee, and, and getting robbed at gunpoint, where they were, I guess, targets of opportunity because, heaven forbid, they, they stopped to, to get gas. And, and that's the thing that is so frustrating to me about city leaders and the lack of response and the lip service you get to dealing with crime, which brings me to, I guess, a comment. Mayor Barrett, for the love of God, why don't you listen to Joe Biden? Why don't you listen to the president? Um, You know, yesterday the president came out that we are local governments and state governments are going to be, in the very near future, floating in COVID relief money. There's all this money, millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars is going to be going to different communities um, in order to help these communities get back on their feet after, you know, after COVID. And so here's what the, the, the White House, the White House recognizes that crime is out of control and that from a political perspective, Democrats in urban areas are on the wrong side of this. And it all goes back to the defund the police movement and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm looking at a White House memo 
that apparently is going to form the basis of some remarks that the president's going to be making. And the administration is recommending that municipal municipalities and states use the American Rescue Plan's $350 billion in financial support and clear guidance to provide state, local, and tribal governments money they need to put more police officers on the beat, including hiring above pre-pandemic levels in communities experiencing an increase in gun violence associated with the pandemic, as well as other resources. So Biden is saying, look, we've got a crime epidemic in this state, in, in this country. Take this money and use it to try to make the community safer. All right. And clearly, that would apply to Milwaukee. So I'm looking, you know, Tom Barrett, he's been rolling out his different proposals as to what he wants to do with the COVID relief funds. Let me see. Barrett reveals $13.8 million plan. All right, is it to put more cops on the streets? No, he wants to take $13.8 million and he wants it to tackle the skills gap and boost job training. Wants to use $6 million for job training on late lead abatement certification. Um, let's see. He wants to use $2.7 million for a Century City Clean Jobs Project to connect potential workers with employment and energy fields. Okay. Um, the city has, adv- has allocated $3.8 million for summer youth uh, employment. Okay. O- all of these, all of these are fine. I don't have any problem with the initiatives, but Where's the big problem? And why aren't we doing what the president says, which is taking a bunch of this money and using it to do what we really need to do, which is to to hire cops? Now, this morning at a news conference, the mayor said, well, he wants to take six million dollars from the American Rescue Plan Act and he wants to do um Reckless driving initiatives. All right, now it got my attention. So what what are the reckless driving initiatives? Is it let's hire more police, let's increase the police presence in some of these areas? No, a majority of the $6 million will be invested in physical improvements to discourage reckless driving. That includes curb extensions, pedestrian refuge islands, which I assume means it gives you more room to get out of the way of the 16-year-old driving the stolen car at 90 miles an hour, raised crosswalks, pedestrian signals, pavement markings, street trees, and green infrastructure along some 25 miles of Milwaukee streets. All right, more than a million will go to the Milwaukee Police Department for motorcycles. And, okay, well, that, that, that's, that's good, but that's, that's a million. That's a fraction of this spending. We're spending it on curb extensions. We're spending it on lead abatement. We're spending it on this program or that program, all of which might be worthwhile. But why aren't we taking a bulk of this money and doing what President Biden has suggested, which is put boots on the streets. Let's hire more cops. Let's get the numbers of police officers up to above pre-pandemic levels. Let's flood high crime areas with police as a deterrent. And then then let's see what happens. And then, by the way, maybe mayor, people like the mayor and members of the Common Council can use their bully pulpit to put pressure on, say, the DA's office or the judges to once they catch the guys that have thrown explosives at police officers on the street to make sure that they get prosecuted and make sure they get sent to prison. I got nothing wrong with spending millions of dollars on lead abatement programs or, or youth job programs. That, that's all well and good. But where's the dough? For the police, 
Mayor Barrett, why don't you do what President Biden says? Put more cops on the street. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, I'm a free market guy, and I have, I, I, so I, by that I mean, you know, I, I believe that people should be able to charge what they want for their product or their services, and other people can decide whether they want to pay it or not, and that, that's the way the market works. That's why, you know, we, we look at professional athletes, and we pay them absolutely stupid money for, for playing, you know, games, but, but that's okay. The people watch the, the games, people pay money to buy tickets. So, all right, if, if that's what you want, who are we to say that some basketball player shouldn't make, you know, 15, 20 million dollars a year? Who are we to say that some football player shouldn't make 20 million dollars a year? It's all this free market thing. And, and people get to decide how they want to spend their, their money. And, and that's all, again, well and good. Every once in a while, though, you hear these stories that just make you take a step back. And I, I, I use this phrase a lot, but um, the late comic Robin Williams always used to say that, that cocaine was God's way of saying that you have too much money. I mean, if, if you can spend all that money on cocaine, you've, you've got too much money. And there's, there's a lot of different examples that you can give. I mean, this is kind of God's way of telling you you have too much dough. There is a classic story of that that is in the news. If you have not seen this, all right, at, at an auction on Sunday, two days ago, a copy of Super Mario 64. Now that is a Nintendo, it's a Nintendo, an, a Nintendo game. All right. It was, um, released in, in 1985 for the uh, original Nintendo system. So this is an unopened Super Mario 64 game for the old Nintendo system. It sold at auction for $1.56 million on Sunday. This was just two days after uh, a cartridge of Nintendo's The Legend of Zelda game went for $870,000. Now, I, I am old enough to remember, you know, when the Nintendo game system came out in the 80s and stuff. I mean, I, I remember all this, and I acknowledge it never occurred to me to think that Gee, I should buy one of these things, just not open it, and then sometime, like 30-some years later, I'm going to be able to sell it for $1.56 million. Um, the, the auction house, I mean, here's what they say. The 1.56 million shocked even video game experts. Um, you know, one of the game historians said, there, there's no way that we would have predicted that this game would have sold for, you know, such a high price. The people that did the consignment that put together the auction, they're shocked. I was blindsided, to be quite honest with you. Never in my wildest dreams did I expect the price that was realized would become a reality. All right. Now, again, I don't care what people do with their money. And if you've got $1.56 million, you know, floating around, you know, we talked about this yesterday where if you want to go up into space for 15 minutes and orbit around, right now the tickets cost 250000 bucks. And if you've got 250000 bucks and you want to drop it on that, I, guess, I mean, I guess I say go with God, but I think of all the things you could do with that. I guess, and I'm not a roller coaster guy and have no desire to go to space, but if the question was, Huh, $250,000 for a trip to space, or alternatively, $1.56 million for a Nintendo game cartridge. 
I'm thinking maybe that trip to space looks pretty good because, I mean, presumably, at least you're going to get, I don't know, some some drinks and food before you get up on the plane and when you come back down. $1.56 million for a game cartridge. You know, one of the experts there says that, you know, these people that are familiar with this are stumped that someone would spend so much for a game that, by the way, it is common. And anyone can download this game off the internet or buy a cartridge for 20 bucks. So, I mean, you can, you can still get this game for 20 bucks or download it over the internet for a, a nominal amount. Somebody spent $1.56 million for this unopened cartridge for this game. So if you're wondering about today's example of God's way of telling you you have too much money, well, it came out at this Nintendo auction on Sunday. Wow, $1.56 million. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Yeah, off the air, I, I gave Mike Spalding a clue, and, and he, he was able to get it. Paul Orndorff was perhaps better known as Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff. And if you were a fan of professional wrestling in the 70s and particularly the, the 80s, you knew who Paul Orndorff was because he was one of the, the biggest, best-known heels, one, one of the bad guys. He, WrestleMania won. And I understand if you don't follow wrestling or stuff, you, you still have to know about this as a pop culture thing. WrestleMania won, 1983. The, the, the big match, this was the first, like, huge event that at the time they called themselves the World Wrestling Federation, the WWF. Now they call themselves the WWE. But, but they staged, and it was Hulk Hogan, everybody knows Hulk Hogan, and the, the actor Mr. T, who was from, the, he was on the A team, and, and they, they were in a big wrestling match against, um, Rowdy Roddy Piper and Paul Mr. Wonderful, um, Orndorff. And, Cindy Lauper was there. It was this, this huge sort of event, and it really kind of started the the latest golden age of professional wrestling because it, it brought all these other entertainment things in. Muhammad Ali, I think, was one of the guest referees. But Paul Orndorff was there. He was this bad guy wrestler. He wrestled in the WWE for, I think he left in 1988 and then went to a couple of the other leagues, ultimately retired in, in 2000. But very, very well known. Like I say, if you were of a certain age and growing up, you, you knew who Paul Orndorff was. I bring this up because he passed away a day or two ago at the age of 71. He'd been living in an assisted living facility in Georgia, and he had dementia. And, uh, you know, the years are, are typically not kind to a lot of these professional wrestlers because, you know, what, what you do is so hard and difficult on your body. And a lot of them over the years, particularly in that era, we're using steroids and there was all sorts of other sorts of, you know, items of abuse. You know, you'd hurt every night. And so, you know, you drink or you take pills or things like that. So there's there's not that many wrestlers that live to a, a ripe old age. And in Paul Orndorff's case, it was 71 years old. But I, I was thinking about this and I we've had these discussions before, maybe once every couple of years. I grew up as a fan of, of professional wrestling. And so, I mean, I, I remember, 
you know, I, I remember growing up around here, you had the American Wrestling Association, the AWA, which was Vern Gagne. And I've, I've got a picture of Baron Von Roschke up, up on my, over, in my, in my cubicle at work that my brother-in-law, you know, ran into him at an autograph show and he autographed for me. I've got, I've got that up. So I, I remember that. And I remember all the stuff with Hulk Hogan and the big things at WrestleMania and stuff like that. I, I remember the, the appeal of that. And wrestling has kind of gone in and, and out of, it, it's ebbed in and out of like the popular conscience and, and popularity and all. But I, I admit, I, I loved, I loved the shows. I've also told the story before. My, my grandmother, God bless her, she, she was a wrestling fan of, of all these things. And to her dying day, you could never convince her that wrestling was scripted. Now, I don't say fake because the, the bumps and the falls these guys take are, are, are certainly, they're anything but fake. But, you know, the, the results are, are predetermined. They're, they're characters playing roles. And, and now they pretty much acknowledge that. But back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, they, they, they didn't. And my grandmother, I can remember on Friday nights, my parents would, they, they'd take us over to my grandmother and grandparents, my grandfather's house, and they'd, they'd drop us off and they'd babysit. And then my parents would go out and they'd pick us up like the next day. And it, on Saturday nights, it was regular. There was there was there was wrestling that was on TV, and my grandmother would make supper, and we'd we'd all sit around with these TV trays and stuff, and, and watch the wrestling matches, and and she'd be screaming at this guy or that guy or turn around referee or stuff. She got into it incredibly, and like I say, to her dying day, you could never convince her that this was was scripted, that it was fake, that and, and again, fake is is a different term, but but she was just fascinated by it, and I think I got my love of watching wrestling uh, again from from my grandmother and look and I knew the stuff was scripted but I I didn't care our number is 855-616-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line okay let's take a walk down memory lane for a, a segment or so i i loved wrestling i loved going it didn't matter to me if i knew you know that that ultimately the bad guys going to lose and the good guys going to win i just i loved the shows I loved the entertainment. It's the ultimate, you know, morality play. It, in some respects, you know, it's it's good versus evil. And and that's that's the plot. You've got the good guys, you've got the bad guys, you've got the bad guys that do bad things, they're on top of this. It looks like there's no way the good guy's gonna win, and then sooner or later the good guy turns around and he wins and justice is done. That it was that, that ultimate morality play that I think captured a lot of people's attention. And and I grew up you know, watching the local wrestlers, the Crusher and Vern Gagne and Baron Von Roschke and Mad Dog Vashon. And then you saw all the players, the, the folks that were on television and the nationally syndicated stuff. And it was just, it didn't matter to me whether it was, uh, again, the results were predetermined or whatever. I loved the characters. I loved watching actually how athletic a lot of those guys were. And to this day, I remain, even though I don't watch the shows anymore, I, I remain pretty much of a wrestling geek. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, when you were growing up, or even now, all right, what did you did you love pro wrestling? And and what was the appeal of it? For you, I, for me, it was just, it, it was the ultimate kind of, like I say, good versus evil. I, I loved the different characters that were there. Never got tired of, of watching, or at least I didn't for a long time. 855-616-1620. Paul, Mr. Wonderful Orndorff, passed away a couple days ago. Uh, he was a big part of, of again, the, the golden age, or at least the last golden age of wrestling. All right.
I geek out on wrestling matches, or at least I used to. What was it that appealed to them for you? Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Here's a text. Jeff, I'm 54. Love the story about you and your grandmother. I grew up watching the AWA as well. My Uncle Steve was the same as your grandmother. He was also convinced that it was real. And see, to me, the appeal of wrestling is it doesn't matter whether it's whether it was real or or, or not. Um, real in the terms of, you know, were, were these really good guys or bad guys or whatever? It, it was this great morality play. Somebody else, else just sent a text saying that they, it, it was, they, they used to run home on Monday nights. Back in the 90s, they'd have the Monday night wars and you had the, the WWE versus the, um, the National Wrestling Association, the NWA, and one was on TBS and the other was on USA, and they'd, they'd compete with this stuff. And the, the texter said it was a male soap opera. And in some respects, it, it was. And then, of course, then they started integrating the female um, wrestlers in there as well. Let's start with uh, Jack in West Dallas. Jack, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, is this Jeff the Macho Man? <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Snap into a Slim Jim. <laughs> yeah. This, this is Hulk Jack Carter. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, I was on your screener. I'm, I'm, I'm also going to be 70. I grew up with Duck Crusher, Get the Bruiser, Wilbur Schneider, uh, all the way through up to now with Roman Reigns and everybody, in between Orndorff and all those right. guys. I went to the Eagles Club, the Auditorium, Bradley Center, and I told your screener I met Nick Bockwinkle, Wicked Nick Bockwinkle. Okay, sure. He, he and Ray and Stevens. He, and he, and he, and he Okay, Jack. So, what, what, tell me this: what, what's the appeal? I mean, you 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 followed this your whole life. What what is it that, inter- that makes you keep watching? The interviews were the best. The interviews. the interviews are the best. Yeah, especially with with the Crusher when he was with Mr. Marty O'Neill and right. Okay, and the, the, the interviews. Got it. Okay, yeah. thanks for calling. No, I mean, I get. I mean, it. See, that's the intriguing thing to me about it. it it's that. It, it's the fact that you know you you have folks that. And I consider myself to be one of them. You know, we, we just kind of mark out on this stuff. And you go, oh, I, I, it just, it's just fun and interesting. Jeff, here's a text. Do we share the same grandmother? My grandmother was a diehard wrestling fan all her life. She loved the Crusher. She tuned in every Saturday night um, with her once-a-week can of Mountain Dew. Isn't that a great story? I mean, it, it, see, this it was kind of multi-generational. My, my grandmother, Nanny, um, we'd, we'd, we'd sit there and we'd, my brother and I, you know, we'd, we'd watch... We'd watch wrestling, and it was on Channel 18 or Channel 24 or whatever that was, and it was on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings and things like that. And just, I mean, maybe that says a lot, that that's kind of how my family bonded. Uh, let's talk to Eric in Milwaukee. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Eric. Uh, for, for me, it was just, I mean, growing up, I started watching the late 80s and 90s. So I was a Hulkamaniac, but... It was just no different than a good TV show, you know, week to week. Uh, I guess you can use the word soap opera, but larger than life characters. And, you know, now they have their own streaming network. I mean, if right. my parents had that when I was a kid, they could have taken a week vacation and left me home with that. And I was <laughs> just fine. Yeah, it, it is. And, and you know, it, it's funny because you're, you're right. They've, they've got their own. The WWE has its own channel now. And you can you can go back and you can watch matches from the 80s and things like that. And you can you, you can see all the, these athletes. And, and they were athletes. I mean, it's incredible the moves and the flips these guys had. And, and the fact that it's amazing that more of them didn't seriously injure themselves when you looked at some of the stuff that they did. So, yeah, no, thanks for calling. No, it's just, it's, and, and again, it's, I think it's a tough 
it was a tough way of life. I mean, back then, I mean, they were on the road constantly in a different time. You're in Milwaukee one night, and then you're in St. Paul the next, and the night after that, you're in Chicago or wherever, and, you know, it's this this constant strain on your body and things like that. And plus, I think there was a lot of um, a lot of stuff that went on on the road probably wasn't conducive to uh, a long lifestyle. And I'm not saying there's nobody from the 70s and 80s that are still alive, but but there's not a lot. I mean, for a lot of these big stars, just um, they, they kind of died early. Mary and Waukesha. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mary. Um, I grew up I grew up in southern Mississippi in the early 70s, and they had their own rendition of WWF, and it was called uh, Gulf Coast Wrestling. Okay. <laughs> and it was on, and I had, I've, I'm one of seven kids, and we uh, would watch it regularly on the weekends when it was on, and it, the family room ended up turning into a wrestling ring, and my brothers were doing pile drivers, and they were bouncing off the walls, <laughs> and pillows were flying, and it yeah. was a... I, I guess, like you said before, it was kind of a family bonding thing in, a, in an odd way. But. <laughs> in an odd way. No, but it was something that, that brought everybody together. Yeah, I think that Gulf Coast wrestling, I think that was based out of Florida because before – before the WWE took over, like, the entire country, there were different territories, and you had the Florida Territory, and you had St. Louis, and you had, uh, out here it was the AWA, and that was Minnesota, and Milwaukee, and Wisconsin, and others, but it was just, it, it was just, it was just a lot of fun, and maybe the family that grows up watching wrestling together stays together, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> don't know. <laughs> don't know. I, I don't know, and I don't know that there's a larger point, but it's just, it, it's, it's, when, when I saw Paul, Paul Orndorff had passed away, my initial reaction was, well, well, gosh, I haven't thought about that, but that, that was, he was such a big star, and it was, it was around WrestleMania in 83, where, where it really went, it went again beyond just the okay. It's wrestling fans because, like I say, they had Sidney Lauper, Sidney uh, Lauper that was in there, and and then it was just kind of this explosion. And then it, it was like cool to be watching wrestling. Um, and I, I look, I, I confess, I mean, in the in the seventies and eighties, we would go. This is the the old Milwaukee or Auditorium. They used to have matches like every month, and I we we went to them from from time to time. My my friends and I, as like teenagers and stuff, we we would go and you'd watch them and you'd see all the performers come out and it was it was always fun jay and racine jay you're on wtmj yeah i was a longtime wrestling fan used to watch awa right when it was on later on it was owned, owned by Vern Gagne, but i had a, an uncle that he used to believe that it was like real he'd sit on the edge of the couch and he was a little guy he was always going for the little guy you know <laughs> whenever they'd be the little guy would come back against yeah. The bad guy, he'd be like throwing punches and everything, like he, he was actually performing. Yeah. It was just very entertaining back then, and also the interviews were the best because oh. they did it all off script. They yep. made it up. It's not like today when everything's PG and they, right. they go over everything. They did a lot of right. off-the-wall stuff, but that's what made it entertaining. The Crusher, Bobby the Brain, right. Bobby Keenan, the Brain. Nick Botwinkle, they were just great. 
on on the mic. Right, and I mean, thanks. And of course, the the goal then was to to sell tickets. That that's the idea. You know, we're coming. We're we're going to have our big match, and it's going to be at the you know Armory in Racine, or it's going to be at the Milwaukee Auditor, the air conditioned Milwaukee Auditorium, or whatever. And and the whole idea was to try to put butts in the seats. Here's an interesting text. And again, a lot of people, I guess, have the common experience I have with with my grandmother, Jeff. I grew up watching the AWA with my grandmother. I'll always remember how much she hated Nick Bockwinkle and Bobby Heenan. That was the uh, manager at the time. Nick Bockwinkle's still alive, not so much for Bob- Bobby Heenan, passed away a few years ago. Wrestling was filled with great personalities and was great entertainment. That's from Kevin. Yeah, it was. It, it is the, I think there's an element to that. It's that great, you know, personality. You could be a great athlete. You could have all these spectacular and special moves, but if you couldn't do what our last caller was talking about, if if you didn't have the, those great skills, or you didn't have a great character, or you didn't have a great gimmick, or or whatever, you 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 probably weren't going to succeed because you know people weren't going to just come out and watch. Oh, this guy can do three backflips. No, they, they wanted the characters. They wanted the battle of good versus evil, and that's what pro wrestling gave people. And that was it was just pure escapism and lots of fun, a male soap opera. And and I guess I, I don't watch it so much anymore, and a lot of the fun's been taken out because over the years they've admitted that it's scripted and they've admitted that it was characters. You know, back in the day you kind of knew that, but they never had come out and actually flat out admitted it. But I'm, I'm telling you, those were great, great times. And if you grew up like I did, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Crusher, Mad Dog, Nick Bockwinkle, Bobby Heenan, Vern Gagne, and the rest. Um, just to tell you, a lot of them gone, but certainly not forgotten. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. It's Shark Week. It is Shark Week this week. So if you're looking for something to do and instead of watching the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, you get, you get Shark Week on the Discovery Channels. And this is particularly appropriate because the, the question is, has the Me Too movement jumped the shark? Now, the, the Me Too movement, of course, really probably reached a crescendo a couple years ago we had uh, women coming forward justifiably talking about making different accusations about men who had mistreated them and acted in boorish and completely improper fashions in some cases it, it was like recent misconduct in other cases it was conduct that had occurred decades earlier and there was this this whole rush where if there were the allegations what happened is that the men had to lose their jobs and things like that. And, you know, you, you saw this play out with allegations against uh, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh and things of, of the like. And the, the Me Too movement has, in some respects, in the public mind, kind of quieted down a little bit. And I think it's sort of been replaced at the forefront by like, some of the social justice movements and the Black Lives Matter movement. And there, there's an interesting story that, that comes out of Madison that I think begs this question of of why something is happening. Louis C.K., Louis C.K., and if you've you've never heard of him before, bear with me. Louis C.K. was a, is a, a very, very popular 
comedian, stand up. It started out as a stand up comedian. It goes back to like 2006, 2007. We would do a stand up act. He, he got a, got a deal around 2009 with the, the TV channel FX that picked up his series that he starred in and written and wrote and directed called, called Louie. Um, he, he's also had parts in various movies, you know, over, over the years, I mean, where you'd, you'd kind of, you know, recognize him for some of the things that he was in American Hustle. He was in, um, let's see, Woody Allen's Blue Jasmine show, all, all those different things. And, and very, very successful, huge stand up you know, comedian. And, you know, he, he had deals with Showtime and things of the like. His career kind of came to a, well, to forget kind of, came to sort of a crashing halt in, in, in 2017. For years, there had been allegations. And let me give you a PG-13 related moment here. This, this next topic is a little bit adult here. Um, but for years, there had been allegations of of sexual misconduct on the part of Louis C.K. Um, the, the the word was that he would expose himself to female comedians and and things like that. And, and you got the the sense that these out and, and it wasn't just one or two. There were lots and lots of women who just talked about the guy behaving in a fashion that was clearly sexually harassing and was just just boorish completely and unacceptable. He had always denied this. And these, in many cases, the women, it had been sort of rumors, but they had, they had never come forward. Well, a couple years ago, and, and I have it in my hands right now, the New York Times you know, came out and, and ran a story. November 9th of 2017, Louis C.K. is accused by five women of sexual misconduct. And again, it, it goes back, these, these are allegations that go back to 2002. And it's female comedians who are coming up and they're saying, hey, you know, we were... We were around this guy and he did this or he did that or or whatever, generally speaking, exposing himself and, and things like that. And and the story then kind of went public. You had multiple women that were were saying this and, and Louis C.K. essentially got canceled. I mean, the, he what his manager dropped him. He lost his he lost his deals with like the the TV shows. He he lost his deal with like Showtime, you know, entertainment to do the comedy specials. I mean, his career had come to just a, a crashing halt based on all the different allegations. And at some point in time, he finally came forward and after years of denying this, said, yeah, it's, uh, th- these things are true. I- I'm sorry. I know I behaved in this kind of fashion, but I- it was just, I-, I-, I did it. And so, I mean, he issued a, a kind of a quasi-apology, but that didn't make much difference. Well, all right, so his career comes to a pretty much a, a screeching halt after this. And then it starts to come back right before... COVID pretty much closed everything down. He he couldn't get booked anywhere. You had comedy clubs that were canceling appearances. He couldn't get himself on TV, couldn't get anywhere. And then then right before COVID, he was starting to make a comeback. Um, I'm looking at a story in, he appeared in, in, in Washington, D.C., um, d- did a show, 1,800 people you know, showed up completely and totally sell out, sold out to watch, you know, Louis C.K. come and, and tell jokes. People saying, I love you, Louis, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So he was back. His career then kind of came to a halt again because after, you know, the pandemic hit, everything closed down. 
Well, he, he's back. And here's the interesting thing. He's going to be doing a series of, of shows, five shows at a club in Madison called Comedy on State. And he's going to be performing at the end of the month, July 25th through the 27th. So they are, they're bringing him, him back. All right. Here's the interesting thing. Those shows are now all sold out. They're, they're I mean, he, he's, they're, they're sold out. So you, you can't buy a ticket right now. Um, tickets for the shows, $30 before fees, but, but they're, they're sold out. So people are, are flocking back. I mean, their vote now, again, he, he's not performing in some 25,000 seat amphitheater, but he's doing his comedy act. He's back out on the road and you, five, all five shows are sold out in Madison, Wisconsin, of all places. All right. Our number 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think is going on? There are people who would have a couple years ago, completely written Louis C.K.'s career off. He, he's never going to come back from this. He, he behaved in a boorish, piggish fashion. What he did was appalling. Nobody's going to touch this guy again, and nobody's going to spend, you know, hard-earned money to go see watch him, watch him do a show. I mean, kind of like we were talking about Bill Cosby last week and maybe the week before that. I mean, but, but Louis C.K. is back. And again, he's not back performing at amphitheaters, but he's selling out comedy clubs. So is this the Me Too movement jumping the shark? Is it that, I don't know, after a certain period of time, people just kind of forget and forgive? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's a why question. What? Why is he, is he, in fact, making a comeback and... Will he be as big as he was a year or two from now, as he was maybe five or six years ago before all this stuff came forward? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think, I think it, it's basically, he, this will always haunt him. But I think in the case of somebody like Louis C.K., maybe that differentiates it from Bill Cosby, who I don't think is coming back anywhere. He's acknowledged it. He said he's sorry. I think a lot of people are willing to kind of let bygones be bygones, and they're willing to give him another chance. 855-616-1620. And if he's able to make people laugh, that's going to be the key. What do you think's happening? We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Right, the, the, the very popular comedian Louis C.K. was essentially canceled because of incredibly boorish, arguably illegal behavior. You know, he exposed himself to women over the years, and those allegations were out there. Finally, it, it, it they, the women went public in a high-profile fashion in a story that ran in the New York Times in November of 2017, and after that, uh, Louis C.K. became a, a pariah, lost his TV show, couldn't, lost his manager, couldn't get booked anywhere. Well, a uh, couple, right before the pandemic, March of 20, 2020, made his comeback, did a comedy show in, at a sold out house, 1800 people in Washington, D.C. Well, everything kind of shut down after the pandemic, but he's back. 
back, just sold out five shows at a Madison venue um, July 25th to the 27th. Is is he out of Me Too jail? What 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 is going on here? Um, have people forgiven? Has enough time passed? What do you think is happening? Let's start with Betty in Port Washington. Hi, Betty. Hi, Jeff. Yeah, I was just listening to you talk more about it. And I think the Me Too thing, he was all, he said, yes, Me Too, I did that. Mm-hmm. I remember him being on air saying, yes, I did that, where you have Cosby going. I didn't do that. Right. That wasn't how it went down. Right now, he, I, uh, he denied it for uh, years. But right, once it really became public in, in, after 2017, then he ultimately fessed up. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And if you ever saw a Louis C.K. show, even on HBO or right, any sure. of the primetime things, he's launchy. He's launchy, and his um, that's that's just how he plays the game, and it didn't surprise me. Oh, so when right. so, women, so, they didn't. So they when didn't so I guess he, when when a woman would come forward and say this guy was a pig in real life and and did you know the, these these <laughs> awful sort of things that wasn't a surprise. You 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 didn't think think nope. that, that was necessarily out of character, right? Would you exactly? Would you buy tickets to see a show of his? If I had known he was in Madison, I would have bought one for each of his shows. Really? Okay, that much of a fan. I've seen him in Milwaukee. I've seen him in Milwaukee. I watch his shows consistently. They're old on HBO. I think he's. I think he's hilarious and raunchy. Right. Maybe that says something about me. But <laughs> no, well, no, it, it, no. Thanks for calling. Well, no, I mean, people have different tastes. Now, I do think that there's also one of the things that, and this is. I know you might disagree with me on this when I say that I just and they're talking about a comedy return for Bill Cosby. I don't see that. But th- this is and, and I think Betty might have like touched on this to an extent there, there to me, there's a difference. First of all, Bill Cosby, you know, convicted of sexual misconduct, sent to jail and, and he, he's let out, but he's let out on a technicality. Cosby has, has never acknowledged this on top of that. Cosby wasn't Louis C.K. I mean, like what Betty was talking about, Louis C.K. has always, it's an edgy brand of humor. He's, the fact that, oh, gee, Louis C.K. turns out to be a sleazebag in real life, that doesn't necessarily come as a surprise, I think, to people. Now, now maybe the particulars of the allegations do, but it's not necessarily a surprise. Bill Cosby, on the other hand, I think built this whole career and persona out of setting himself up as being kind of a moral arbiter. He was Rick Huxtable. He was, um, you know, he was he was Dr. Huxtable character. I mean, you know, he he was the 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 role model that, you know, you you had if, if you were growing up in an African-American black family, you know, this this was the guy that you you looked up to. And and so I think in part it was kind of that that betrayal that I think makes it difficult for Cosby. A couple interesting texts on this. Here's one. Jeff, I am by no means justifying his actions, especially since it sounded like he admitted to the wrongdoing, which he did. However, I will note comedy isn't supposed to be for the politically correct. Most successful comedians nowadays are edgy and push the boundaries of the social norm. It's apparent the guy still has a fan base who's willing to see the content, but not necessarily the character himself. And then the texture goes on to speculate, as I have, about whether or not, you know, that that's going to translate to Bill Cosby. But I, you know, I, I don't I don't think so. Here's another interesting thing. And it does raise kind of the questions about the cancel culture. And is there 
And I think there are different standards that come in. It, it depends on what we're looking at. Are we looking at a, at a U.S. senator? Are we looking at a raunchy comedian? You know, it, it, there's different standards. And I'm not suggesting or implying that any of the behavior is okay. But from, okay, it's a, it's a raunchy comedian. Gee, are we necessarily surprised that he behaved in this, this piggish, boorish way? Whereas, okay, it's a United States senator. It's an Al Franken situation. You know, maybe that's different. Jeff, and here's the text that makes that point. The cancel culture has never been a fair jury. It's about everybody piling on at a certain time. That's why so many of the canceled celebrities never issue an apology. They just lie low until the storm blows over. I think that there's probably an element um, to that, right? And and then there's the larger question of the cancel culture in general and whether or not at some point in time there, there gets to be a backlash. And Texter makes this point. Jeff, I feel many people in society today are tired of the finger pointing and the different demands from the different movements that they're only judging people in their occupation rather than their personal life. Um, if I'm going to see a baseball player, I'm judging him and his baseball skills and not how decent of a father he is as an example. Well, I don't know. You, you've got Trevor Bauer, who is the pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers who's been suspended because he goes on the Internet and, you know, meets some woman and invites him her over to his house and then gets involved in some, um, well, what is described as like rough sexual relations and things like that. I mean, he, he's suspended and there's going to be there's going to be a fallout. But part of that might be the fact that you again, you, you have these different personas that are built up and. All right, maybe people are more forgiving if it turns out that a raunchy comedian is a pig than they are if, again, a politician or a public figure is. But the, the bottom line of this is for everybody who wrote off um, Louis C.K.'s career a couple years ago, well, well he's back. Now, he, he's not he's not back doing the, you know, 10,000-seat venues, but, but he's back. And if you look at what happened in Madison, clearly there is a demand. Smaller venue, but people are willing to pay tickets to see him. I will be curious to see whether there's a blowback. I mean, are people going to show up and are going to protest his appearance? Don't don't know whether that's going to happen or not. And even if they do, I doubt that the people who've bought tickets to go see him, I doubt that they're going to care much about it. We'll know in a couple of weeks. John McCure, Wisconsin's Afternoon News. John's coming up. We'll find out what he's got on his show in just a minute. Please don't go anywhere.